So I don't know about you, but I love Christmas time. I really enjoy it and look forward to it. But one of the things that happens at Christmas, one of the dangers, I think, is that we, we end up trying to tame Jesus. Because after all, he's just a, a little child in a manger, very easy to understand. We kind of feel like, well, we get this now. We've figured him out. I think it's no accident that C.S. Lewis in his Narnia series portrays Jesus as a lion. He's not a kitty cat. He's a lion. And you, you can't tame him. And Jesus, as we're going to look at this, uh, this uh, morning, is he's amazing. He's astonishing. He, he's unexpected. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily behave the way we want him to all the time. He's not the person we may think. And so this weekend we want to look at how he's amazed people and how he astonished people. And uh, we're going to kind of look through the eyes of somebody who is very close to him. And you know what? You figure out this, that the person, Mary, who was the, the closest to Jesus, knew him the best. All through his life, all through her life, she never quite figured him out. And if she couldn't, then maybe we can't. So that's kind of where we want to go. So this morning, we want to begin by uh, looking at, at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to look at this real interesting episode in the life of Jesus where he goes to the temple and his parents aren't there and they're gone and, and they look for him. And, and we want to read that passage. And it's found in Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Let me read the passage for you. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up, then that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Uh, now, what we want to do is I want you to uh, take this idea home with you this weekend. And it's this. Jesus will always amaze and astonish you. And I want you to choose to treasure him. So we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the frantic search for Jesus. And, and I want to give you a little bit of background. In that day, it was very common. And, and we see that Joseph and Mary are making the trek, the spiritual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They did this yearly to celebrate the Passover. The celebration 
for some was a few days, but for the faithful, they would spend the whole week there in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. This wasn't once they did every now and then. This was something that Mary and Joseph did every year. Now, this was a three-day journey. It was, they probably would uh, travel somewhere around 20 miles a day, and then they would camp. And so it was a three-day trek to get from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and they would travel in caravans. Uh, they would have family members and friends, and they would all travel together in a caravan. This was uh, a great way to travel because it, it was a sense of community. It was a sense of, it, there was a sense of safety there because there were robbers, there were bandits out there. And so as they traveled in a big group, they were safer. The other thing that we need to understand about Mary in this situation is Mary is probably somewhere around 28 years old. And she has other children. Now, that may be, for some of you in this community, maybe a shock. But it's not a shock because Scripture is very clear that Mary had other children. In fact, Mary had at least four sons and two daughters. Um, now, we don't know how many that she had at this point, but it makes sense that she had some younger children, that Jesus was the oldest and she had some uh, younger children. And the reference I'll give you for that, because I don't want to just say something and you take my word for it, I want you to see it from God's word. And then if you have a problem with that, or if you wrestle with that, you can wrestle with his word. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, 50, verse 54, it says this, speaking of Jesus, he returned to Nazareth, his hometown, where uh, when he taught there in the synagogue, everybody was amazed. Again, one thing we're going to see about Jesus is when he taught, when he healed, when he did things, people were amazed. They weren't left like, well, he was all right. You know, they walked out saying, well, that was amazing. That was crazy. This guy's nuts. He's just off the, he's off the hook. And then they said this. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simeon, and Judas. By the way, Judas was not a bad name. It was a very common name, and it just happens to have this very negative. I mean, no child, uh, no parent is, is naming their children Judas, either, even today, a Christian. It's just, not a, it's just become a very poor name. Um, and then it says this, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? So there's at least four brothers and at least sisters, plural. There's at least two sisters. So it's, 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 a, it's a fair assumption to believe that Mary at 27 years old has other children that she's tending to that are younger than Jesus. Now, Jesus has chosen to stay behind. He, is, uh, he knows... Uh, he hasn't told Joseph and Mary of his plans. Uh, they've traveled a day's journey in the caravan, assuming that Jesus was part of the caravan. It was, must have been fairly large. And as they camp that night, Jesus doesn't show up. So they begin looking around the caravan for Jesus, and they don't find him, and they realize that Jesus has gone AWOL on them. So they returned to Jerusalem. We don't know whether it was that night or the next day, but we do know it was at least a 20-mile, one-day trip back to Jerusalem. So there's two days where they don't know where he is. And then they spend the third day looking all over Jerusalem. They finally found him on the third day in Jerusalem. Can you imagine their panic? 
Can you imagine their concern? Now, again, in this culture, you, you, you would think uh, it's very different than ours. And again, they traveled in a caravan. There was this community. There was, you see, every, all the kids were raised by all the adults. It was just that idea. Everyone looked out for everyone. So it was a very safe, family-friendly environment. And uh, th- there, was no, there was no question that Jesus had been a compliant child. They expected him to be part of the caravan. He was old enough to care for himself. So they didn't have any cares and concerns. This is not a case of neglect by Mary and Joseph. And uh, as I said before, Jesus has given them no reason to believe that there was anything that there was anything wrong. They expected him to be part of the caravan. Also, I want to say one other thing. This is not a case where Jesus is being disobedient. Some of you are be sitting there going, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out here. He didn't tell his parents he was a 12-year-old that didn't tell his parents that he wasn't coming with them. You know, I mean, that sounds a little disobedient. Well, we'll get to that, and I'll answer that question as we move. Let me ask you a question, though, just kind of on a personal note. Have you ever lost your child at a mall or somewhere? I remember one time... Uh, there's a number of years ago where Carol and I had, you know, we used to drive in different cars and uh, got home. And, well, where's, I don't even remember which one we lost, but we lost one of them. <laughs> we lost one of them. It says, where's Tucker or something? And I, it may not have been Tucker. And I thought he rode with you. Well, I thought he rode with you. Well, then we got a call on the phone. Yeah, he was still at church. And, yeah, so we went and picked him up. But, uh, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? We've lost the Savior of the world, and we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> now, some of you are young parents here, and you go, how could you lose a child? <laughs> well, you'll learn. <laughs> After three frantic days of searching, though, they find him in the temple, and he's sitting with the teachers, and he, he's asking questions, and He's giving answers, and they're amazed by his responses. Now, let me just clarify something. Jesus isn't sitting there tutoring the teachers. That's not what's going on here. This is a Socratic method of question and answer, and Jesus is not standing up and telling them where to get off and what to believe and all this. That's not what's going on here. He is sitting there in a group, uh, in a teaching environment, where questions are being asked, and he's giving answers, and they're amazed by the interaction of this 12-year-old, which is way beyond his years. And uh, they, it says this, literally, they were utterly amazed. They were blown away. That's the idea there. And that was the common response, as I said, when Jesus taught or when Jesus did anything. In fact, we read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what they said, the people said. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7, at the end of Matthew 7, it says this, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So here's a, a kind of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching on the mountain, and the people walked away blown away. They were astonished. They were amazed by him, and that's what Jesus always did. So there's the search. Secondly, the surprising words of Jesus. Mary becomes the spokesperson for the family. She questions Jesus who has been the compliant child up till now. And she says this, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, son, 
Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking, searching for you. He said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, this idea, just to get an idea of what Mary is saying to Jesus here, what she's communicating. In another portion in Luke chapter 16, Luke tells a story about a rich man and a, and a poor man, and the poor man's name is Lazarus, and he's just, he's just a, a very sickly, uh, just hurting man, and he's laying by the gate of this rich man. And he cries out every day for help. And, La- and the rich man walks by Lazarus every day, doesn't even give him the time of day, doesn't help him at all. And so both the rich man and Lazarus die, and the, uh, Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom, which is representative of heaven. And the, the rich man goes to hell, and he is tormented in hell. And he cries out to Abraham, and he says, send Lazarus to dip water on my tongue because I am, I'm in torment here. And let me read you that passage there, and, and I'll bring this together and you'll see where it fits. Luke sixteen twenty four. Uh, this is the rich man. The rich man cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. That's the same word that Mary says, we've been searching anxiously for you. Mary's saying we were in agony. Literally, if we were to translate it today, Mary would say, Jesus, you put us through, literally through hell these last few days. That's what she's saying to him. Now, what we hear are the first recorded words of Jesus. He's around 12 years old. He's 12 years old. And we have the first recorded, it's only two sentences. And up to this point, he's given his parents no reason to worry about him, and he's been compliant and responsible. But in this, this sentence, in these two, these two, this response, he's very blunt, he's very to the point, and he's very unapologetic. He is saying something that we will often miss. Now, I need to, to just go in a, a little different direction here, just for a minute, so we can understand what he's saying, because we'll miss it. In our culture, in our day, in the Christian church today, we address God as Father. It's a very natural thing. We're told by Jesus, when you pray, address our Father who art in heaven. So we've been taught by Jesus, that's how we can approach God, as our Father. So it's a very natural thing. We teach our children, that's how we pray. So it's very natural for us. In Jesus' day, this was unheard of. Nowhere in the Old Testament is God addressed as Father. Nowhere. You didn't address God as Father. You didn't address Him as though you had a relationship with Him. That wasn't the way He was addressed. And yet what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is claiming a personal relationship with God, His Father. Mary and all the rest of the people of the first century, this would have been a new and incredibly different uh, idea. They would have been amazed by this. It it, it was nowhere in the Old Testament that the religious leaders would never address God as Father. This was too personal. Jesus was claiming a personal relationship with God. It's stunning. It's surprising. It's, It's difficult for Mary and Joseph to comprehend. Not only that, 
But Jesus doesn't apologize to his parents. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what it would cause them, and yet he still does this. In fact, <coughs> he almost rebukes his parents. He basically says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Jesus was essentially saying this. My relationship with my father in heaven trumps any relationship I may have with you. Now, for some of you, this still sounds like disobedience. Let me just uh, make a comment here about Joseph. This is the last time we'll hear about Joseph. We don't know what happens, but we do know that when Jesus was 12, we hear about Joseph. After that, we don't. He's 12 years old, Jesus is. But what we have to remember is though he is 12 years old, he's eternal. He's a boy, but he's God. And his existence didn't begin in Bethlehem. And Jesus is saying to Mary, if I obey you, it's voluntary. I'm older than you. You don't have the right to evaluate me. Now, he's not being disrespectful. He's carrying out his mission. He's, uh, he's helping Mary to understand that she, yes, give, gave birth to a baby, and he is a 12-year-old boy, but he is God's son, and he is God, and he is on a mission. And Mary is going to struggle with this and struggle with this and struggle with this. You go to J John chapter 2 with a wedding uh, feast at Canaan and Mary comes to Jesus it's time it's go time show them who you are and Jesus says, it's not my time back off even at the cross Mary's going to stand there and say I don't understand it doesn't make sense he's only 12 but he knows who he is and he knows what his mission is you know the fact that Jesus and this is an amazing uh, part of the passage I don't know if you caught this but it says in verse uh, 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all people. You know, just to think of the idea, how does God grow? I mean, how? How do you even you wrap your brain around that? Um, this is one of the great mysteries of the incarnation. Incarnation simply means God became man. That's what the incarnation is, that God became man. That God took upon himself human flesh. Um, and theologians struggle. I mean, it's a mystery. This is really a mystery. How can God be a man? How can God become man? How can this incarnation be? And, and we, we, we talk about the hypostatic union and all these theological terms. And theologians have struggled and wrestled with this. And essentially what we're saying is it's a mystery. It's a mystery. He learns, he grows, he develops, but in the end, he's still God. Jesus is really what he's doing is he's showing his divinity to his parents. Though he's 12, he's eternal. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, puts it this way. The fact that Jesus increased in wisdom says that he went through a learning process just as all other children do. He learned how to eat, how to talk, how to read, and how to write. But he's still God. Now, <laughs> in verses 51 and 52, it says that Joseph, after this time, went back with Joseph and Mary and returned back. And we don't really hear from Jesus for the next 18 years. And theologians have pondered this. Now, of course, we have all this apocalyptic literature out there. We have the Gospel of Thomas and all these. They, they are not uh, can, canon. They're not part of Scripture 
And uh, they're, they're kind of goofy if you read through them. I read a couple of those this week, and they're just, uh, just very strange. But, but that, that having said, we don't really have any other account of the early life of Jesus. And theologians have speculated, and, and the best they could come up with is that Mary took Jesus home and grounded him for the next 18 years. <laughs> that was a long setup for a bad joke. Yeah. The question is, though, how did he learn about his mission? Because as he sat in the temple, it said that what he did was he, he responded to the question-answer session with the religious teachers, and they were amazed at him. Now, that would be good because ultimately he would, we, we, we know he would learn the Scriptures, and it was the duty of the father to take the 12-year-old child, especially the male, and to teach them the family trade and then teach them the family religion and to teach them all the ins and outs, to prepare that young boy to be a man. That was the job of the father. And uh, he would be tutored. And so Jesus, it's interesting that Jesus says at 12 years old, as he's in the temple, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? I had to be here. Now, some have theorized, because it's one thing to know what the Old Testament teaches about the Messiah and all these other things, but the implications of that. I mean, even, even the disciples didn't get it when Jesus was trying to clearly demonstrate and explain to them his mission. How did he understand his mission? Well, he understood at least at this point that he was on a mission from God, and that mission has become clarified. But the question is, how did Jesus know what his mission was? How did he grow and learn and, and, and understand the implications of the Scripture? Well, some have theorized that God the Father led him around the city of Jerusalem. And at the Passover meal, when they, they celebrated and the Passover lamb was there, the father said, you will be the lamb. One day you will be the, pa- you'll be the ultimate Passover lamb. You'll be the lamb that, was, that began in Exodus. And you'll be the ultimate lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you know anything about the Passover, the last supper of Jesus, there was no Passover lamb at the table because the Passover lamb was standing at the table. Or it may be that as Jesus walked around Jerusalem, the Father, it, the heavenly Father said to him, you will walk these streets one day, but you will walk these streets with a cross. And so Jesus was educated. Jesus was tutored. Jesus found out what his mission was. What I'm saying essentially this is uh, Tim Keller describes the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit as a dance. The dance didn't end or be, it didn't end when Jesus was born as a baby. The Spirit of God and, and the Father are still working and active in his life. So here's the third thing we can pull from this passage. The necessary response to Jesus. As I said before, Jesus will always surprise us. He'll always amaze us. He'll always astonish us. Why? Because he's God. He's not a kitty cat. He can't be tamed. He's a lion. Jesus will always confound us. And he'll, and he'll do this in a way kind of like what he did with Mary. Mary was basically saying, how can you treat your mother this way? And we as Christians say the same thing. We say, wait, I'm a faithful follower. I believe in you. I'm, I'm serving you. I, I love you. And, 
And I'm asking you not to allow me to go through difficult times and not allow me to go through sickness or uh, have uh, trials or tribulations and answer my prayers. And, and we, we find that we're sick. We find that we have bad news. We find that we're struggling in this world. We find that our prayers don't seem to be answered the way we ask. And we say to Jesus, how could you treat somebody who loves you as much as I do like that? Mary asked the same question. And what we do is we, we try to take Jesus at Christmas time and we try to find that ideal-sized package box to put him in and to wrap him all up and put a bow around it. I'm telling you, that's a huge mistake. You can't put him in a box and you can't wrap him up. You will be disappointed if you want to try to tame Jesus. I like what uh, Elizabeth Elliot said. She said, God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. You know, there is an unbelief. There is even rebellion in the attitude that says God has no right to do this to five men unless... And the five men she's talking about, one of those men was her husband who was martyred, Jim Elliot. And what she's essentially saying is, hey, wait a minute. We're not the enemy. We're the good guys. How could you? Do? And they're going to bring the gospel. Why in the world would you? How could you treat us this way? Three lessons that we can draw from this passage. Number one, don't assume that Jesus won't surprise, amaze, and astonish you. You'll never fully understand him. He will disappoint you. If you determine that he will never let you go through this, he would never allow this to happen uh, to somebody who loves him, then you have a misunderstanding of who he is. Um, in fact, it's so opposite of the early church. In fact, the early church, the early followers of Jesus Christ saw it as an honor to be persecuted, to be executed like Jesus. They saw suffering and persecution as an honor. And they, they were just foolish enough to believe that if he suffered, if he was misunderstood, if he was mistreated, why would we as followers not expect the same? Secondly, don't forget the reason why Jesus was born, why he came to earth. He uses this phrase to his mother. He says, didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? I'm on a mission here. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a job to do. I've got a mission to do. And it's interesting because as you go to the end of the book of Luke, <clears throat> you see these disciples. It's after the resurrection. They're on a road. They're walking to Emmaus. And... <clears throat> They have all these questions. They don't understand what's going on. Reports have come that Jesus has risen from the dead. They don't know what to make of it. He, he died on a cross. And now there's reports he's risen from the dead. They don't understand it. Jesus begins to walk with them. They don't recognize him. And um, through all this discussion, they're talking about the events of the last few weeks. And, and finally, Jesus says, don't you understand it was necessary for me to die? And immediately their eyes were opened. Don't forget and don't misunderstand why he came. The third thing is this. Don't neglect making 
the deliberate choice of giving your life to God and following Jesus. What Jesus is doing here at the age of 12 is he's ultimately saying, God, I will follow your plan. I will give myself to you and you follow your plan. Even though he's God. Yes, I know. I don't understand that. He did the same thing in the garden. Father, if, there, if there's any way for this cup to pass for me, let it pass. But not my will, but yours be done. It's a struggle between the human and divine going on within Jesus Christ for us. And so I say to you, we also have a choice to make. We have a deliberative choice to follow God. We have a, cert, a similar personal choice. There's a point in our life where we must choose to follow God. Jesus was making his choice clear when he was 12. It was a defining moment in his life. He's basically saying to his mother and father, I must follow God rather than you. And he actually challenged somebody one day with that. He says, well, you know, you have to choose between following me and following your parents, ultimately. As Jesus invited God to be his father, he invites you to join him in calling out to your heavenly father. And my thing from this passage is until you know Jesus Christ, you haven't begun to live. You haven't begun to live. So I don't know of anything you could do better during this Christmas season and maybe this is the step you need to take is saying, Jesus, I don't know if I've ever called upon you as Savior, but I want to do that. I want to throw myself at the cross and find the forgiveness and freedom that only you can offer. I'm helpless and hopeless without you. For those of you that say, I've done that, then the next step is you've got to take the box that you may have put Jesus in and rip it up and throw it away. He, you don't put a lion in a little box. He's not going to be the what you expect. He's bigger than your greatest thought. You'll never understand him. It won't all make sense. He doesn't say, I'm going to explain everything, and then after I explain it, then you trust me. He says, trust me. Because you're not going to understand it, and you never will. That's what faith is. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because if Mary, who was the closest person probably to Jesus, and she didn't understand, it's difficult for us. Now, we have more revelation. We have more information today. But help us never get to the point where we think we fully understand who you are, who Jesus is. Father, if there's anyone here who has never called upon the Lord, may today be the day where they say, Jesus, I'm lost, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I need a Savior, and I know you're my only help. I've tried other things, but I've never really given my heart to you. You gave yourself to me on the cross. Now today I give myself to you. And Father, for those of us who have called upon the Lord, we've given ourselves to you. Help us not to think that we can ever tame you. You will always amaze us. You will always astonish us. You may put us off. You may even discourage us because we don't understand. Help us to trust you anyway. We pray this in Jesus' name.